Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with Wall Street, laser-focused on the Federal Reserve as the central bank kicks off its two-day policy meeting today, but the real action may not come until November. Also, the United Auto Workers Union sets a new deadline for Detroit's Big Three, threatening to expand the walkouts. And... The IPO rush showing no signs of cooling off as investors brace for Instacart's public market debut. Plus, coming down to the wires, U.S. lawmakers now have less than 10 days to avoid a government shutdown. We have a live report from D.C. ahead. And then later in the show, pay to post Elon Musk. He lays out his vision for the future of the platform, formerly known as Twitter. It is Tuesday, September the 19th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start this day. As always, we kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures with the S&P and the Nasdaq, both coming off their third positive session in the last four. Right now, we're seeing green across the board. The Dow looks like it could open up about 20 points higher right now. The S&P and the Nasdaq fractionally higher. As always, we say it's early. We're also checking the bond market right now, taking a look at the benchmark 10-year yield Right now at 4.31. Uh, also important to note as we go into this Fed meeting, the two-year note at 5.05, that yield back above 5%. We're also watching the energy market, specifically oil, WTI. That's the U.S. benchmark. Right now coming in at 92.76, up almost 1.5% this morning. Brent crude at 95 and 12 cents, up three quarters of a percent. Natural gas pretty much muted, up a quarter of a percent. All right, now time for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Well, the IPO rush set to continue today with Instacart pricing. It's NASDAQ offering at $30 a share. That's the top end of its expected range. And the deal values the company at around $10 billion. That's a massive haircut compared to its $39 billion valuation back in 2021. But Instacart is profitable, generating $114 million in net income last quarter. That's up from $8 million a year ago. And don't miss Instacart CEO live right here on CNBC later today. The United Auto Workers Union says it will strike at additional Ford, GM and Stellantis plants if, quote, serious progress is not made by noon on Friday. UAW President Sean Fain posting this message on X late yesterday. We're not waiting around and we're not messing around. So noon on Friday, September 22nd is a new deadline. Either the big three get down to business and work with us to make progress in negotiations, or more locals will be called on 
to stand up and go out on strike. The, ch- the expanded strikes would expand the walkouts beyond the current 13,000 workers and come just about one week since talks officially broke down. Now, no comment from Ford or Stellantis on the new deadline. GM says it continues to bargain in good faith. And don't miss a first on CNBC conversation with Stellantis COO coming up at 7.40 a.m. Eastern. And Elon Musk says X. That's his Platform formerly known as Twitter now has 550 million monthly users generating 100 million to 200 million posts per day. Speaking during a live chat with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Musk also said the social network is moving to a subscription model in order to fend off what he calls vast armies of bots, Frank. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Savannah, we're going to talk about this later, Savannah. I don't we know if you want to pay to post. I just don't I know. I don't know about that. But we'll discuss. We'll discuss. Savannah, <laughs> thank you very much. We'll see you yeah. later in the show. All right, turn our attention back to our top market story. The Fed begins its two-day policy meeting today with the decision and new economic forecast set for tomorrow afternoon. Jay Powell and his fellow FOMC members, they're widely expected to keep rates on hold. The markets, they've been a bit bumpy since the Fed's last meeting in July when they hiked a quarter point. Since July the 26th, the S&P 500 you can see right here, it's down 2.5%. Let's talk more about this now with Vince LaRusso, President, CEO, and Portfolio Manager at Clo Capital Partners, a firm with $1.6 billion in assets under management. Vince, you're here in the house. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Thanks, Frank. All right, so let's talk about this. You have $1.6 billion in assets under management. Your client base largely financial advisors. What are you telling them about positioning and allocations ahead of the Fed decision, or are you saying just sit pat? Yeah, it's a great question. So we're active managers. We've been managing money for clients since 2000 across market cycles. So we're never really sitting pat. I mean, we, we really pride ourselves on the fundamental research process. We've got a team of analysts that look for opportunities across sectors and geographies. And right now we see all these cross currents in the capital markets that really do necessitate active management, fundamental research. So that's a bit self-serving to say that because that's what we've been doing now for more than 20 years. But when you think about just the headlines this morning on the UAW, the Fed today, when we're thinking about, you know, the, uh, the dual mandate between lowering inflation and keeping growth in check and, um, you know, it's just a difficult environment to be passive and to be, um, you know, to stand pat. So what we're doing within the capital markets is saying, look, the consumer is slowing down. I mean, we see that. We see it in the data. We think that excess savings are starting to be depleted. Uh, we know that interest rates higher for this long are going to start to have an impact on delinquencies and credit availability. So we're finding sectors and themes within the capital markets where we can tell advisors to be active. Okay. You know, I normally say to people, don't just come on here and talk about the Magnificent Seven, but I do have to ask you about rate pressure and its impact on tech. We've seen Apple impacted by some China concerns, but in general, rates are just elevated. I think highest level since about 2007. We just noted the 10-year at 4.31. Is what we're seeing this month, is that rate pressure, is it September seasonality, is it a combination? I think it's a combination, but if you look at the capital markets, and frankly, the S&P 500, even at the index level, which is so much the Magnificent Seven, as you referenced, um, the S&P is about where it was more than two years ago now, so August of 21. So we've had the big sell-off yesterday, the big rebound this year to date, so I think we kind of get caught up in the moment of these volatility and these big move, um, you know, moves higher and lower in the index or the individual securities. But frankly, this is a maturing economy in the U.S. We don't have significant growth. So if there's a, a gravitation towards some of the mega cap companies that have fortress balance sheets and wide moats and decent growth prospects, that's not surprising. You know, but overall, in the aggregate, the index really just hasn't been that impressive, um, which, again, I think 
forces active managers to go out and find more interesting areas of the, op- of the markets. So I'm listening to you. You don't sound like you have a lot of conviction in the market either way. I want to bounce something off. You want to show the audience something. This is the VIX right here. Right. Uh, this is Wall Street's fear gauge. So it's been kind of subdued this year, um, despite a lot of things to worry about. Higher oil prices, higher rates. Uh, we've had the U.S. credit rating downgraded. But still, right now, it's at about 14, well below its historical average of about 20. Uh, Nick Colas at Trek says, a low VIX, that's the sign that stocks are in a bull market. So do you agree? Are we, are we actually in a bull market? And despite all this hand-wringing, worries about a shutdown, the credit rating, that we're actually in a great time for equities? It doesn't feel like a bull market to me, right, and to us at Cloud Capital Partners. Um, I think that the mega cap influence of those seven stocks is profound. But if you look in the rolling bear market kind of thesis seems to be playing out, you know, the pullback in the consumer, some of the data points we're seeing from companies that report, uh, you know, with regard to credit dependent purchases, they're slowing down. So the VIX is low, which means that the expectations on volatility are lower. And that may be a function of the Fed now getting to a place where we're we're more or less calibrating the level of the Fed funds reserve rate. Right. We've raised 550 bips and the question of whether they'll hold today or this week and whether it's going to be bearish or hawkish, uh, you know, or dovish or hawkish is really going to be interesting to dissect in the capital markets. But we know we're more or less where the Fed needs to be at, at this level. And I think that might be part of the reason the VIX is low. All right, Mr. LaRusso, great to have you here. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. Coming up, got a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including that one word that investors have to know today. But first, MasterCard is out with its latest holiday spending pulse and even more signs the consumer is as resilient as it's ever been. Chief U.S. Economist Michelle Meyer coming up. Plus, just how far apart are D.C. lawmakers in making a deal to avoid yet another government shutdown? And what impact could all this have on the U.S. credit rating? We're just talking about it. We've got a live report in D.C. coming up. And then later in the show, much more on Instacart's NASDAQ IPO and what the guest, our guest says, is the company's real draw for investors. We've got a very busy hour still ahead on Worldwide Exchange Returns. Brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional quality expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com slash CNBC. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at futures right now, fractionally higher. The Dow looks like it would open up just about 20 points higher. The S&P and the Nasdaq, again, just a few basis points higher than the inflat. All right, time now to see how Europe is shaping up as its trading day gets underway. We have our Jamana Brissetti in our London newsroom with much more on the early action. (laughs) Jamana, good morning. 
Morning, Frank. Let's just start with the price action out of Asian markets. I actually want to start with the Nikkei today, the Japanese index, back for trading, down nine-tenths of a percent. Some losses on the boards leading the declines overnight. Chip makers in focus there. We're seeing the likes of uh, a Tokyo Electro Advantas uh, really fall to the bottom of that index. So something to bear in mind there. The Hang Seng, seeing some stabilization come through in the Hong Kong index. It's up about four-tenths of a percent. And then the Shanghai is basically flat. But over here in Europe, sentiment is a bit more positive. You can see with the exception of the German index, pretty much all of these indices are trading the green moderately. So uh, the FTSE 100 is up about eight basis points. We're watching out for some of the retailers today. Ocado, the online e-delivery giant, is right at the top of the index after posting better than expected results. Kingfisher, one of the uh, DIY companies in the UK, posting negative results. So a bit of a split picture over there. Zetchadax, I mentioned, a bit of red as industrials come of the selling pressure. And then Kekalant in France, also up 10 of a percent today. Uh, we have been watching some of the latest forecasts out of the Banque de France. They've downgraded their forecast for 2024 and 2025. And as we spoke about yesterday, Société Générale is one of the banks that we've been watching closely the last couple of days. After their capital markets day, the stock dropped about 10%. So pretty much a slightly more positive picture going into that Fed meeting on Wednesday. Don't forget, in the UK, we have the Bank of England on Thursday to watch out for as well. All right, Jumana, thank you very much. Jumana Bersetchi, live in our London newsroom. All right, turn our attention back stateside. We're less than 10 weeks away from Black Friday and the official kickoff of the holiday shopping season. And despite interest rates sitting at a 22-year high, the economy is really proving to be resilient. First here on Worldwide Exchange, we've got some new data out from MasterCard. It shows retail sales during the holiday season. They are forecast to increase by 3.7% thanks to surging demand for electronics, restaurants, and experiences. Joining me now for a deeper dive into a report you will see first right here on CNBC is Michelle Meyer, Chief U.S. Economist at MasterCard. Michelle, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Frank. All right. So, Michelle, let me know if it's just a coincidence. I'm looking at your forecast. Holiday sales to increase by 3.7 percent. That's the same increase in CPI, 3.7 percent. So give us a sense. How much of this increase is inflation? How much of it is a true increase in consumer spending? That's a good observation, um, Frank. And I think um, you're right. It is the same as CPI. But remember that what we're looking at in our measure of retail sales, ex-auto, is a different measure of um, spend than what you would see in overall CPI. So you really want to look at each individual category and compare the spending by category to the inflation by category. So that's the first note that I would mention. Um, but the second point is that you're absolutely right. We're looking at nominal spending and part of the gain in spend is a change in prices. That's always the phenomenon. And this year, I would actually argue that it's less of a factor. If you think about the last two years, inflation was the story. It was all about how consumers were going to be able to navigate the big and high inflationary environment, how they were going to make their dollars work more. Now, we're actually seeing a lot more price discounting. We're seeing some categories with outright price decline. So I think it's really a nuanced story that depends on the category of spend. You know, speaking of categories, we, we here on CNBC, we often say the consumer is stretched. They're shifting from goods to experiences. Then I look at your report, electronics expected to see a 6% jump. One Mm -hmm. of the biggest jumps in this. I thought during the pandemic, everybody bought their electronics. What's the catalyst for this surge this holiday season? Well, it's been a few years now since that surge (laughs) post-pandemic. And we know how quickly technology changes. New gadgets are being introduced. Um, 
And it could be that maybe we're starting the new replacement cycle around technology for certain items. Now, we're not saying this is across the board. We're not saying people are going to go buy, you know, all new appliances for the house again. Some of these large durable goods there, you might have that saturation of demand still. Um, but for many other categories, it does seem like it's starting to be appealing again. And that's certainly what we're starting to see in the trends and our insights. So we're talking a lot today about the Instacart IPO. Obviously, their core business is grocery delivery. Not asking about the IPO. But looking at the report, grocery delivery expected to increase 3.9 percent this holiday season. Um, What does that actually tell us about the economy and the consumer to see basically a 4 percent increase in grocery spending year over year? So I think it's important to look at food spending holistically. So to look at spending at home and spending away from home. And one thing that's been clear heading into this season throughout the year is that consumers have been really excited about going back to restaurants. Um, it's part of this whole you know, move more towards experience-based spending. So I do think that's still going to be more of the trend until the holiday season is that when people make the decision about how they want to consume food, I think that there, there's still a prioritization about going out to restaurants. Um, for grocery stores, we're returning to something that's a little bit more resemblance a stable or normalized trend in spending around grocery stores. And that's happening in part because we're also seeing a slowdown in inflation at grocery stores as well. Some categories of food that have outsized gains, think about eggs or certain dairy products, um, they're returning back to a more trend-like growth rate for prices. So when consumers now walk into the grocery store, they have a lot more choice. They're not faced with as much of a price shock. And they're also thinking about where they want to consume, whether it's at home at restaurants. And restaurants are certainly doing really well right now. All right, Michelle Meyer, uh, MasterCard forecasting holiday retail sales will increase by 3.7% overall, e-commerce up 7%. First on CNBC report, great to have you here as always. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, private equity scores another major music catalog and no actors, no writers, no problem for Dancing with the Stars and why the S&P 500 may be flat this quarter, but one cold-pressed commodity is actually red hot. We have your trending stories coming up when we return right here on Worldwide Exchange. Stay with us. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We have a market flash for you. We're watching shares of Rocket Labs. You can see they're down about 15% ahead of the open. The company says it experienced a, quote, issue and anomaly two and a half minutes into a scheduled launch of a satellite early this morning out of New Zealand. The result was the total loss of the of Capella Space's satellite. Rocket Lab says it's working closely with the FAA and other agencies as it investigates the reason for the failure of a rocket that has successfully delivered 171 satellites into orbit across 37 missions. Again, shares of Rocket Lab down just about 15 percent right now. All right. Turn our attention now to Capitol Hill, where U.S. lawmakers, they have less than 10 days to pass a stopgap funding measure to avert a government shutdown. Once again, the burden lies on the shoulders of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who was dealing with division within the Republican Party. Emily Wilkins joins us now from Washington with much more on what is at stake. Emily, good morning. 
Good morning, Frank. Well, yeah, we are less than two weeks away from this government shutdown, and there is still no clear path on how Congress is going to avert it. A plan backed by Speaker Kevin McCarthy is looking increasingly in trouble with a growing number of Republicans opposing the package. The bill pairs funding the government until October 31st with conservative immigration measures. That's stuff like building the wall on the southern border and limiting asylum into the U.S., Plus, the Republican measure would cut 8% from certain domestic programs. Yet the bill already looks doomed despite being packed with conservative priorities. About a dozen members say they oppose the bill, with some saying it doesn't contain enough things that Republicans want, and others simply saying that Congress needs to pass a full funding bill rather than a short-term one. But McCarthy and other lawmakers who negotiated the bill said they believe they can get enough votes for that stopgap measure by Thursday. All they have to do is educate members on what is actually in the bill. And McCarthy told reporters yesterday that he was invoking the ultimate threat, taking away the lawmakers' weekend. I've told all of Congress, you're not going to go home. We're going to continue to work through this. I'm not giving up on the American people. And, you know, things that are tough sometimes are worth it. And this country is worth it. Even if McCarthy does pull it off and get all House Republicans on board, there is no chance this bill passes in the Senate as is, making the threat of a shutdown all the more likely. Uh, Frank, there is another option potentially on the table. A bipartisan group of Republicans and Democrats are already discussing a potential bipartisan solution if this one falls short. But it might be too little, too late. Sounds a little ominous, Emily. You don't sound very optimistic about all this. Obviously, a lot of uh, political wrangling has to happen down there in D.C. I want to ask you about something else. Are we hearing anything from the credit rating agencies? Of course, uh, the U.S. credit rating got downgraded back in August, something that came as a real shock to the markets. It did come as a shock to the market, and I think there were a lot of questions about the timing. But what Fitch said when they explained why they downgraded it, I mean, they pointed to debates just like this one, saying, look, you know, the government needs to do certain things. I mean, kind of the one big task that the government has is keeping the lights on in Congress. And we've seen year after year them struggle to do it, them needing to buy themselves more time, and just having a lot of uncertainty. So, well, I think, Frank, it's too early to probably say exactly what is going to happen with the ratings. This is exactly one of the reasons uh, that the U.S. government got downgraded over the summer. Yeah, it sounds like another downgrade is a, a real risk right now, at least. Uh, hopefully this uh, shutdown deal goes through and everything gets worked out. Emily Wilkins, great to see you. Great reporting as always. All right, straight ahead here Thanks, on Worldwide Frank. Exchange. The one thing Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. economist, Ellen Zetner, is watching for in tomorrow's Federal Reserve decision and what her team is telling their clients now. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and there's just a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. The Federal Reserve set to kick off its latest policy meeting with an increasing focus on what tricks Jay Powell and company they may have up their sleeves for the rest of this year. Also, the IPO rush, it just rolls on with Instacart, pricing its public offering at the top of its range. We tee up that highly anticipated trading debut. And last week's IPO darling, Arm Holdings, losing some of its shine as its post-public debut pullback continues. It is Tuesday, September the 19th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC.
All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start this day. As always, you pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. Take a look. Um, seeing some movement to the upside for the Dow. Now up, uh, looking like it would open up about 45 points higher. Earlier, it was just about 20 points. The S&P and the Nasdaq both fractionally higher. The Nasdaq also moving to the upside as well. We also wanted to check on the bond market ahead of the kickoff of the Fed policy meeting. Taking a look at yields right now. The benchmark 10-year at 431 Pretty much at its highest level since all the way back in 2007. Important to note, the two-year yield back above 5% at 5.05. We're also looking at the energy market, specifically oil, WTI. That's the U.S. benchmark. Now up about one and a quarter percent, just a bit off of its highs earlier this morning, 92.62 a barrel, 92.66 a barrel. Brent crude, similar story, up just under three quarters of a percent at 95.08. A little bit of upside movement for natural gas as well. We're also hearing from the OECD this morning. Among the headlines from its latest Global Economic Outlook report, it sees limited scope for policy rate reductions for most advanced economies into next year. It's also cutting Chinese growth, that forecast, to 5.1% this year from 5.4% and 4.6% in 2024 from 5.1%. The OECD also says Germany's economy, remember that's the largest economy in Europe, will go into contraction this year while the U.S. should end 2023 with 2.2% growth. That's actually up from a previous estimate of 1.6%. All right, turning back to our top story this morning, the Federal Reserve kicking off its latest policy meeting today with a decision due out at 2 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Investors pricing in a nearly 100% chance the central bank will keep interest rates unchanged. But the real key, according to many, will be Chairman Powell's language on inflation and employment and what its members could do in the November meeting. Joining me now is Ellen Zentner, Chief U.S. Economist at Morgan Stanley. Ellen, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. So everybody sees a pretty much, you know, 100 percent chance of a pause. Assuming that happens, what else are you looking at when it comes to this Fed meeting? Yeah, so I think I'm looking for hints in the statement that they're moving toward a stance that even if they hold rates steady, policy will continue to get more restrictive over time if inflation is falling. So there's a word in the statement, additional, judging what additional policy tightening might be needed. Um, If you just take out the word additional and say what what policy tightening may be needed, that is a step in that direction. So are there hints in the statement? Um, How many of the dots in 2023 come down? Is it a full 25 basis point lower median or is it directionally lower, but not quite a full uh, 25 basis points. I think just the direction matters. And I think at the end of the day, when we go into the Q&A with Chair Powell, I think he's going to struggle to keep a hawkish tone, even as they want to keep the door open to hike further if needed. So right now you're focused on the dot plots, but there's so many uncertain things going on right now that I would assume the Fed is paying pretty close attention to. There's obviously labor negotiations with the UAW workers, There's rising oil prices. There's a potential for the U.S. credit rating to be downgraded again. Are the dot plots that we're going to see tomorrow, uh, do you think they reflect a long-term view, or is it subject to change based on some of these big, at least U.S. factors? No, I think, look, focus on 2023 and what happens with those forecast changes, I really think is most important here. The Fed is going to have to almost double its growth forecast. And so even though they need to greatly bring down their inflation forecast, because inflation is coming in well lower than their expectation, some members might be hesitant 
to do a full mark to market just because if growth is going to be that strong, you're going to be a little skeptical that the pace of, of deceleration and inflation is going to continue. So I think that's going to be a struggle for them as they balance that. You mentioned energy prices. That's actually a blessing in disguise for the Fed. When energy prices are rising, they act as a tax on households and you get a, a drag on real income and consumption. And for a Fed, that has been trying to slow the economy more with a frustratingly resilient consumer, that could actually be a blessing in disguise. All right. So I know you're also looking for an economist, looking at a lot of the wording of what the Fed's going to say. You're also looking at their July statement. So there's one part you're focused on in that July FOMC statement. It says in part, tighter credit conditions for households and businesses are likely to weigh on economic activity, hiring and inflation. The extent of these effects remains uncertain. The committee remains highly attentive to inflation risk. You say removing the word highly out of that sentence, just that one, uh, you know, omission could have a big market impact. Please explain. It could. It could. So the word highly, the word closely, these are things that that are really like sort of heightened alert for the Fed. And so when they get more comfortable with something, they tend to take those words out. So I'm going to be focused on do they remove the word highly also in the statement? Do they not just say that inflation is elevated? Do they say inflation has slowed but remains elevated on labor? Do they not just say it's robust? Do they say job gains have slowed in recent months but remain robust? These are tiny little tweaks that that shouldn't be taken lightly, and they would be baby steps towards stopping the hiking cycle. We do believe that the Fed is done here. They just don't know it yet. Okay. well, you're actually answering part of the question I was going to ask you. Um, have we seen the last rate hike? And are you expecting cuts next year? I'm sure your clients are asking you about your expectations. If we see cuts next year, how many and when do they start? So we do think that we'll see four rate cuts next year. They start in March at a quarterly pace. And that's because we think that the Fed will want to uh, ensure that inflation continues to fall. So they can't let up on how restrictive they are. But as inflation is falling, you maintain the same level of restrictiveness if you are following inflation lower with the policy rate. And so that's the environment that we think we'll be in next year. As you know, we're the earliest on the street calling for a soft landing. We started calling for that in February of 2022. And we do think that the Fed is going to have to keep pressure on the economy here to get it to slow enough. But no recession. That would be a different story where they're cutting rates very aggressively next year. All right. Ellen Zender, Chief U.S. Economist from Morgan Stanley. It is always great to have you here. Thank you so much. Now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories, we have our Savannah Hanau back with those. Savannah? Hey, Frank, good morning. Arms post-IPO retreat look set to continue today after shedding 4.5% in yesterday's session. According to Reuters, roughly 74,000 arm options contracts were traded yesterday. The first day options were available for the stock, and more than 80% of them were concentrated in contracts set to expire on October 20th, which with much of the volume inputs. Meanwhile, the union representing Hollywood writers says it will resume talks with studios on Wednesday. That announcement comes on the 139th day of the strike, which began in early May. The union representing actors has not signaled when it could return to the bargaining table with studios. And shares of Carrier Global getting a pop ahead of the open on a report it's exploring splitting off one of its divisions. According to Bloomberg, the company could list its commercial and resident fire unit as a standalone 
public company. The report says the potential move comes as Carrier looks to scale down its size and focus on its energy and climate businesses, Frank. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. Appreciate it. it. All right, turn our attention now. One of the big stories of today, Instacart said to begin trading on the NASDAQ today under the ticker CART. What else? After pricing its IPO at 30 bucks a share last night, that's the top end of the 28 to $30 range. Still, the valuation coming in at a major discount from its 2021 peak of $39 billion. Instacart marking the first notable VC-backed tech company to make a public debut since December of 2021. It also comes as the IPO market begins showing signs of life following last week's successful debut of Arm Holdings. Let's get more insight on both sides of the coin with Sarah Kunst, Managing Director at Clio Capital, a venture capital fund with investments in companies like Masterclass and Gemini. Also, Stacey Widlitz, president of SW Retail Advisors. Ladies, great to have you both here. Good to see you. All right, so Sarah, I'm going to start with you, but I really want to ask both of you guys the same question. Um, Instacart, it's a combination of two businesses, grocery and last mile delivery, that are usually kind of tough to make money in and are generally pretty thin margin. Why is this IPO so attractive? I mean, I think at this point, any port in a storm, people are excited to see that window potentially open back up. And Instacart's a company that's, you know, it's a big tech company backed by some of the biggest names in venture capital. It's raised a lot of money. It's in a space, you know, if you remember Webvan from the dot-com boom, that's really, really hard to make a profit and, and has sort of been the betting noir of, of startups for, for decades now. And it seems like it might work. You know, there's been a huge haircut, like you said, but, you know, they're pricing at the top of their range. It, you know, they're slightly profitable now. It seems like this really could be that canary in a coal mine to say, you know, maybe, maybe we're back. All right. So, Stacey, over to you. I mean, yes, it is pricing at the top end of its range, but still well below its valuation of $39 billion during the pandemic. when We were all stuck at home and ordering groceries now a little bit closer to $10 billion. Um, is, in your mind, is this a deal at this valuation at this price? Yeah. And, and Frank, don't forget, this is not just a, a grocery delivery company. This is has a huge part of their business as ads and software. But, you know, it's a really interesting time for this to go public, because if you think about the grocery business, what's been driving the business, it's been inflation. Most of the growth that we've seen is pricing and pushing through inflation to the consumer who's incredibly stretched at the moment. And now inflation is coming down. So it's going to be tougher to grow sales. And of course, this is a company that takes a fee off of the, the price of um, of your basket. So it's an interesting time. And the other thing is, you know, we're, we're certainly hearing from all of the retailers, even Kroger suggested that the business is getting a little more promotional here. So it'll be tough to grow the top line in general in grocery going forward. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, Stacey, you're hitting on a really important part. It's advertising business. And also the fact that this is actually a data play. So can, can you kind of expand on that? Um, a lot of investors are excited about the ad business and the fact that this is what makes it a tech company. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's the ad business and software is about is about a third here. And we've seen so many companies like Walmart push into that business. Why? <laughs> because it's it's a high margin business as compared to, as you said, grocery, that's incredibly thin margins. So that's the real opportunity here. And also for cart, you know, they're doing other things that, that have potential like AI in stores so that you don't have to scan your items. 
Um, they're doing in-store capabilities. So, you know, there, there are other plays on this clearly. Um, but again, the, the base business of grocery is, is I think, headed for a, a downturn on the top line here. All right. So, Sarah, you were calling this a canary in the coal mine. We saw Arm have a successful IPO. Uh, shares are down today, but in general, consider it successful. Also, Clavio, um, is this riding the wave of those other IPOs or is this something totally separate? And also important to note, Instacart is profitable. Yeah, you know, Instacart's profitable, not not massively, but there's certainly some profit there. And I, I think these are all pretty different companies. But, you know, the, the thing that's a little bit different than the last year and a half is they are all tech companies, right? Instacart delivers groceries, but largely it's seen as a tech company. Clavio obviously is. The other interesting thing there is that Clavio and, and Instacart, you know, really do have some similarities in that they are both largely in the business of helping you buy things. Um, you know, Clavio is a, a SaaS company, but, but it, its biggest customer Shopify. Shopify owns 11% of its shares. So to some extent, you know, Clevio and, and Instacart are a little bit of that kind of test of the strength of the consumer, because if they're doing well, it means that the consumer is probably in a good place. All right, Sarah Kuhn, Stacey Whitless, great to have both of you ladies here. Really appreciate your time and your insight. Thanks, Frank. All right. Don't miss CNBC's exclusive interview today with Instacart CEO, Instacart CEO, it's coming up later today. It's going to be a first on CNBC exclusive. You do not want to miss this interview. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, UBS naming names when it comes to countries apparently holding up its push to wrap up its Credit Suisse takeover. But first, as we had to break, some of your top trending stories. Katy Perry's music catalog looking to be the one that got away. The singer selling the rights to her songs to Litmus Music, a rights management company backed by the Carlisle Group following similar moves from John Legend and Bruce Springsteen in recent years. No reported price tag on that deal. The show must go on, at least in the world of dance. Dancing with the Stars keeping plans to premiere its new season on ABC and Disney Plus next week, despite some backlash from the Hollywood strikes. The show currently employs a crew of 500 people, but will reportedly work to stay in compliance with the rules of the strike. And it's not just crude oil prices on the rise. Olive oil prices are also spiking. Global prices surging by more than 130% due to extreme weather conditions in the Mediterranean, driving criminals to steal nearly 60,000 liters of olive oil or liquid gold across Europe in recent months. Interesting. Got much more water exchange coming up in a moment. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your morning call sheet. We begin with Raymond James raising its rating on Rackspace technology, boosting it to outperform. It says recent changes in management and strategic direction are taking hold and will will push the company back towards previous revenue and EBITDA levels over the next year or so. Shares of Rackspace technologies up almost 9% right now in the pre-market. J.P. Morgan downgrading its rating on Planet Fitness, moving it to neutral. J.P.M. citing recent leadership changes at the company, including last week's removal of its CEO, as well as other systemic challenges. Those shares right now down one and three quarters of a percent in the pre-market. Also, we got Goldman Sachs downgrading Lazard's rating and price target, moving it to neutral and $32 per share. Goldman saying it believes Lazard's near-term earnings will face pressure driven by a challenging top-line trajectory and a longer path to margin improvement. Those shares this morning down 1.5%. Time now for your global briefing. We begin with UBS reportedly telling regulators in at least four countries there's been a, a slow signing off of its takeover of Credit Suisse. According to Reuters, the bank claims South Korea, India, Ireland, and Saudi Arabia are among those 
drawing out granting regulatory approvals. Reuters also reporting that businesses in the European Union say they're concerned about China's data laws. The report says the businesses are specifically challenged by what they call a lack of clarity and the long processes they have to undergo regarding data to do business in China. And shares of NEO falling both here in the U.S. and in Hong Kong after it announced plans to issue $1 billion worth of convertible senior notes. The EV maker says it plans to use money from the offering to help reduce debt and to boost its cash reserves. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we've got the one word that every investor needs to know today. Plus, why your next guest is the latest here on Worldwide Exchange to get on the bandwagon for this beaten up energy stock. You can see the chart right there. We're going to reveal our mystery chart coming up. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And as we head to break, CNBC is celebrating Hispanic heritage, sharing the stories of influential Hispanic business leaders with you. Here is CFO Elena Gomez. I'm really proud to be a Hispanic Latina and in a C-level role. And I think I represent what's possible for a lot of young Latinas out there including my own daughters. There's so much rich history and culture and music and family that I would love to share with my my non-Hispanic colleagues. And when I think about the fact that Hispanics will be such an important part of our communities, of our uh, workforce in the future, I think it's really important to bring them into the fold and really enrich the conversations that, that we're having every day in our communities and at the, in the workplace. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with Instacart set to begin trading today after pricing its NASDAQ offering at $30 a share. That's the top end of its expected range. The deal values the company at just around $10 billion. Don't miss Instacart CEO live right here on CNBC later today for a CNBC exclusive interview. All right, looking at one of our top stories today, the United Auto Workers Union says it will strike at additional four GM and Stellantis plants if, quote, Serious progress is not made by noon on Friday. That move would expand the walkouts beyond the current 13,000 workers. And you don't want to miss a first on CNBC conversation with the COO of Stellantis at 7.40 a.m. Eastern today on Squawk Box. All right. Optimism by U.S. businesses about operating in China falling to record lows, according to a new survey. The American Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai says positive outlook over the next five years has now fallen to 52 percent. Shares of Rocket Labs sinking ahead of the open this after the company says it experienced a, quote, issue and anomaly during the launch of a Capella space satellite early this morning, resulting in a total loss of that satellite. Those shares right now down more than 20 percent. A judge rejecting Starbucks's bid to dismiss a lawsuit claiming several of the coffee giants refresher fruit beverages, but they lack a key ingredient, fruit. Starbucks argues the product names describe the drink's flavors and not their actual ingredients. And Microsoft apparently planning to refresh its Xbox gaming system just in time for next year's holiday season. The revelation coming from new documents tied to the FTC's legal challenge against Microsoft's deal for Activision. All right. Also, here's what to watch today. The Federal Reserve kicking off its latest two-day policy meeting on the data front. We get housing starts and building permits. We're also watching for AutoZone's results in just the next hour and on the IPO front. Instacart share is set to begin trading on the Nasdaq, and Clavio will price its IPO later today. That Fed meeting, that's top of investors' minds with an increased focus on the central bank's forecast for any future rate hikes 
before this year is over and what, if any, easing may be on tap starting in 2024. For more on this trading day ahead, let's bring in Tiffany McGee, CEO and CIO at Pivotal Advisors and a CNBC contributor. Tiffany, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. All right. So nearly a 100 percent chance of a pause, at least that's what's being priced in by traders right now. Assuming that happens, um, what does that mean for the markets between now and then? Um, Are you telling your clients to sit pat? Are people making moves? What's going on? So listen, the Fed is really kind of driving market moves, uh, especially from now to the end of the year. Uh, and so, you know, what, what we're t- telling clients is, is a few things, right? So remember, our clients are long-term investors. Uh, they are foundations, endowments. And so uh, we're really big on portfolio positioning. So we're really talking to them about um, diversifying their portfolio and really looking for long-term growth opportunities. All right. So as you're looking for that, I want to get a, a sense of what you're thinking about. Give us your, your WEX word of the day. How are you looking at the markets? So my WEX word of the day is the long is long game. I know it's hyphenated, right? So it's still kind of one word. Uh, but again, kind of getting back to that idea that um, what, what we do is we look for these growth opportunities. Again, like foundations, endowments, really, really long-term time horizon. So if uh, any viewers are thinking about, you know, what type of investor they are, uh, if they're saving for, for like retirement or things like that, they're longer-term investors. So they can really kind of afford to invest like um, like uh, more, more like an endowment style, right? So those longer-term growth opportunities also typically come with a premium as well. So long game. All right. So as you're looking at the long game, worried at all about rate pressure. We're looking at the tenure right now, highest level since about 2007, uh, back above 4.3%. Oh, Tiffany, I don't know if you could hear me. Sorry about that. I said, as you're, oh, as you're planning for the long term, are you worried about rate pressure? Looking at the 10-year right now, uh, right now above 4.3%. So I wouldn't use the term worried, right? So, of course, we're watching rates, and, and, and again, we're watching the Fed. But, you know, the, the, best, um, the, the best defense for things like that is planning, right? So, again, what we're doing with client portfolios is we're really diversifying. We're looking for these main diversifiers, things like liquid alts, right? Um, and, and again, that, that really comes into play when we're talking about potential rate pressure. So we have uh, you know, a couple of options. Liquid alternatives are um, uh, think like managed futures, think uh, hedge funds, but in a liquid form, right? So in like a, like, like a mutual fund type form that anybody has access to. And these, a lot of these strategies, um, you're able to kind of hedge against things like rates. Okay. I want to get to one of your picks. One of them's Next Era Energy. You're the second guest in a row to pick Next Era Energy. Give us a sense of why you think this is a great play for today, right now ahead of the Fed decision. Yeah. So, you know, listen, we're really playing the long game, these long game, these long term growth opportunities. Uh, we like infrastructure and how we choose to play infrastructure is this clean energy play. Uh, they've got stable cash flow, low correlation to stocks and bonds. Again, that diversifier, uh, they're de- it's, a, it's a defensive stock. Right. Um, but we like this huge opportunity um, with uh, cloud adoption and these data centers. So these big tech companies, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, they are building these data centers, which, of course, require a lot of energy and what they're doing, because all of them have made commitments to have 100 percent of their of okay. their data centers powered by clean energy um, is signing these long term purchase agreements, a per- purchase power agreements with companies like Nextera Energy. All right. Tiffany so it's McGee, a long term play, play for us. Uh, that's your Wexware of the day. Tiffany McGee, it is always great to see you. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate the time. 
All right, looking at futures right now in the green across the board. We're going to leave it there. We've got Squawk Box coming up next. Thank you for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.